Well, good afternoon and welcome to Rock is Pockets. Today on the line, we have a Dr. McLaughlin from the uh, Canadian military. Um, I'll turn it over from there to you, uh, Doc, and you can give yourself a quick bio. Sure, yeah. Thanks uh, for the invitation, Steve. Uh, it's always good to talk about important issues like uh, PTSD. So uh, a little bit about me, I guess. Um, yeah, I'm a military physician, basically a family physician in the Canadian Armed Forces. I uh, did my residency at McMaster in family medicine and uh, my med school at the University of Toronto. And I'm currently posted uh, to Garrison Petawawa, but I'm from the greater Toronto area originally. How long have you been in Pat? That'll be four years this year. How long have been there, yeah. You uh, Army trade or? Yeah, I'm in the, uh, exactly, yeah, I'm in the Army, yeah. All right, so I guess we'll get down to business here. In a nutshell, what is PTSD? Well, um, I guess uh, kind of the, the Coles Notes uh, summary. Um, essentially, it's a... Uh, mental health condition that uh, people can experience in response to a traumatic event. So if you want to get technical about the diagnostic criteria, um, usually it involves uh, exposure to a uh, traumatic event, um, either directly or, or indirectly. And you can drill down and there's a lot more specifics about that, but that's the overview. Um, and, and subsequent development really of um, different categories of, of symptoms, including uh, Intrusive symptoms that we would we would categorize as intrusive, avoidant symptoms, uh, negative uh, mood and, and thought processes, and then um, you know some arousal and uh, reactivity changes. So those would be the cardinal features uh, and symptoms of PTSD. All right, and how how does that differ from a, a, a stress reaction? Uh, if you've been exposed to uh, you know something that's come close to killing you, um, but. Uh, you the the average person recovers from it. How does it how does it be how is it differentiated differentiated between PTSD and just yeah. a stress reaction? Is it a length yeah. of time? Yeah, exactly. You touched on an important point there, which is that um, you know we we might expect somebody to experience those those kinds of symptoms in response to a um, a traumatic event. You're absolutely right. Uh, like a lot of things in mental health, um, you know, um, things are on a spectrum. And so you, you nailed it there with the length of time. So it, it would be essentially um, uh, the duration of symptoms would be, you know, um, essentially longer than, than one would, would expect, you know, from uh, to be a normal length of time. Say 30 days uh, or something. Yeah, yeah. The exact diagnostic criteria is more, is more than a month, you know. All right. So cur- currently PTSD isn't, uh, it's treatable, but it's not curable. What's your approach to uh, treatment of PTSD, and what is your what, what's the goal of uh, when you're treating someone with say severe severe PTSD? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, your um, again, your goal is to minimize suffering. Right? I mean, in a nutshell, right? So, um, so you you really look at the uh, the individual, and and we talked about those cardinal symptoms, and you say which which of these would you say is most distressing, you know, to uh, to patients, and um, in addition to you know, uh, those specific symptoms are also, you know, you want to take a comprehensive approach to, to managing uh, patients and helping them with some other, you know, concurrent medical issues. Oftentimes things like there's magnifiers like a substance abuse and things like that. So, you know, I think it's really independent, but, but overall that's, uh, it's identifying the, the most harmful uh, symptoms and then, and then treating accordingly. All right. A lot of uh, guys I've spoke to uh, disgruntled with how they were, they were handled, uh, 
within the the military with PTSD and sort of in in their words sent out the front gate with with no support. Um, and I guess one of the bigger bigger complaints was they said they were they were they were fed more pills than anything else. What what other treatments are available to the military that you guys frequently use other than medications? Yeah, so you, um, I think um, when you talk about the transition from, uh, you know, um, so so I should I should note that the, the military healthcare system is a completely separate entity from the provincial healthcare system, and so when um, when military members are enrolled and uh, and reservists are on specific types of contracts, they can receive care from a uh, military healthcare system, but uh, once they release or retire or uh, otherwise get out of the military, they, they make a transition into the provincial healthcare system. So uh, I'll speak to the nuances of the, the military healthcare system where, um, you know, I, 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 and I work in both healthcare systems, I should, I should note. So I'm probably pretty good to compare and contrast, but the, the mental health resources in the military are actually excellent comparative to uh, what, what exists in the uh, provincial system. So, um, and, and again, my, uh, my experience is, is uh, based on, you know, my regional postings. I can't comment on the, on the, some of the geographical, posting right different but so so just take that as a, with a grain of salt there but from my experiences um you know members have uh, ready access to, to mental health resources with um so so for diagnostic criteria so we have uh, psychologists who who are trained in uh, and uh, they do these really multiple multiple hour interviews to uh, to get a, a solid uh, diagnose, diagnosis we have psychiatrists who are trained uh, and uh, do medication consultations and uh, are, are ex- experts in that. And then we also have um, social workers. Uh, we have, you know, um, and uh, padres who, who uh, provide a lot of supportive counseling. Yeah. And, um, the, I mean, the wait times are uh, drastically shorter to, to be seen by these mental health professionals in the military than versus the provincial healthcare system, for sure. Yeah, de- definitely. I'd agree with you there. What uh, are are you also currently using peer support uh, groups? Um, um, so I'm I'm personally I'm not referring to that, but I I, I do know that there um, I can't speak to the specifics because I I shouldn't say, but I know for for lots of uh, mental health conditions that is an element of uh, that they utilize and they kind of do um, you know uh, group therapy, if you will. Um, but I, but I can't I can't specifically comment to say that there's a there's a PTSD uh, group therapy I, i'm not aware of such a group but but it might exist yeah. they might exist within the military i mean we know they exist on civilian street but exactly it might exist i don't i don't want to say that it doesn't i'm just you know i'm not 100 percent confident you're not aware, I'm not of, aware it. of one presently yeah all right so i've seen seen study numbers of uh soldiers as as high as 30 percent might develop uh ptsd um symptoms and the average, and these are American studies I've seen. I haven't seen any Canadian ones, or at least I'm not aware of any Canadian ones. Um, studies seem to go as high as 20%, and that sort of seems to be the average, with the lower end being 13%. But 20% seems to be the uh, yeah. the indicator. Sure. What what what's your uh, what are you seeing in this regard? Is that right well, out? You know, I think to be honest, I think. Um, Again, that's I'm not familiar with that study. I, I certainly don't see numbers as high as that. Um, I, I would say that um, I would say that probably it fluctuates. Uh, remembering that the that the key uh, you know the, the key first uh, event that needs to happen for for diagnosis is a traumatic experience. So I, I suppose that uh, probably the 
the prevalence of PTSD in the military would ebb and flow with various uh, geopolitical conflicts and uh, the scale of those over over time and space. So uh, I've been enrolled in the military over uh, with deployments that you know uh, are not reminiscent of Afghanistan or or whatnot. I've only I've only been acting as a physician over the last four years, and there haven't been any say large scale. Um, conflicts on that level, you know, um, that would uh, maybe be a, a source for, for traumatic exposure. Um, but we definitely see it, and then we definitely have people who, who have been in those sort of uh, uh, military conflict scenarios and, um, and, 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 uh, and subsequently have developed PTSD, but I wouldn't put the numbers that high for sure. What, what would you say uh, with the patients you see uh, on, uh, on, by yourself, how, what uh, percentage of that would be PTSD-related? Any idea? Well, I mean, so PTSD as a specific diagnosis, it's lower. I, I you know, this is again, this is uh, this is just a totally subjective uh, experience of my own. But right. but I would put it far like far less than you know maybe one to two percent. I, I do see a great deal of mental health, but not always um, you know classified as PTSD, right? Okay. So if we're using that as our uh, specific metric, yeah, it's it's less than that. All right. Um, would you say? A couple of psychologist friends of mine have said that we have yet to hit the peak for PTSD from Afghanistan. Uh-huh. That being somewhere, if I recall what they said, it was somewhere around 10 years after the conflict ends is where you, uh-huh. you start seeing the, uh-huh. the peak of it. Do you think we've hit a peak or we still have more to come? Well, I, I would say from that conflict, I would say yeah, you, 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 people have probably... Um, probably declared themselves either, you know, voluntarily or involuntarily. I mean, this is a very distressing thing to live with, right? So, you know, um, but you do you do raise a very interesting point, which is that um, this is something that, that, that definitely manifests, you know, later, right? For a lot of people, it, it involves um, people coming forward and, uh, you know, having the courage to self-disclose and to try to navigate the, the healthcare system, right, and get access to the resources and whatnot. So it, it does require participation on the effort of uh, members who who uh, themselves are often sometimes reluctant, you know, to, to seek help for various reasons. Um, so, yeah, so I think that's a good point. Well, you, you raise an interesting point to uh, have the uh, courage to uh, self, uh, self-identify. Um, is there still, from what you've seen, is there still a, quite a high stigma of... Uh, against people who report uh, mental health issues or uh, mental injuries? Um, I, stigma, um, not necessarily. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's still, there's definitely a, a barrier, right? It exists. I mean, this is, this is definitely, um, I wouldn't, I, I think it exists, you know, both, it can exist in healthcare providers, right? But I also think that, um, you know, patients themselves and in society at large, yeah, for sure. I mean, people are reluctant to, to uh, sometimes um, ask for help. And in the military context specifically, I know that there's culturally often a fear. Um, if I go see the go see my physician or, or primary care provider and tell them I'm struggling, that, you know, I'm going to lose my career, my job, um, my position, my respect in an organization. So those, I think, are probably uh, other other barriers uh, that patients face, you know. And have, have you actually seen anything... Uh that would back up their fears? Like, uh, are they, um, you know, put on light duties or, um, well, yeah, like, so, so part of my job that's really challenging as a, as a physician at the armed forces really is, is this occupational health piece. Right. Um, so I don't lie to people. Like if you're, if you're struggling, um, in that capacity, then, then, um, yeah, of course you're, you're, I mean, you're not, you're not probably in the best health to be a representative for the, 
right, for the Canadian government overseas carrying weapons, right? Right. Um, like, so those are legitimate concerns. And so it's, it's twofold. You want to have this dual capacity where you try to provide the best care for the patient, but also you have this occupational capacity where you have to kind of consider the best interests of the of the, the government in general and the military in specific, specifically and whether or not a person who's in ill health can, can uh, in a healthy way, um, you know, uh, act in the capacity of a, of a, of a soldier. Right. So, so that's what people are scared of is that they come to see the physician and we, we just say, Oh yeah, we're going to prevent you from doing your job. And that's not our goal. It's the process is set up to, to temporarily, protect people from those kinds of environments so they can get better and, and eventually, you know, get back to, to health again and, and be able to maintain the job that they want, you know. Um, but there's definitely a legitimate fear that, that people have uh, misperceptions about what, what our motives are, for sure. Right. Um, do, you, do you see, uh, I mean, Petawawa is a pretty uh, um, busy busy uh, base or garrison now, I guess. Um, do you see more um, cases of PTSD coming out of, say, um, the combat arms units um, or, say, special ops units uh, where they're continually going out the door, going out the door, and not having time to uh, recover? I think it's. Um, I think what you're touching on is kind of op tempo, and uh, I'll, I'll, again, preface my uh, anything I say is, you know, subjective. I don't, I don't have objective numbers that compare, right. say, uh, an infantry unit versus... Uh, I don't know, you know, uh, service battalion, something like that. Like I don't, I don't really have those numbers, right, to, right. to comment specifically. But, but I think, I think your your premise, at least as a hypothesis, definitely makes sense. That um, you know, uh, people in units that have a higher op tempo that are exposed to you know more of these traumatic um, uh, events in the context of their employment within the military would uh, we would we could postulate that they would definitely you know uh, we would we should expect probably a higher higher instance of PTSD uh, in those in those units for sure. What 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 shortfalls do you see in the treatment, if any, of uh, PTSD and mental injury uh, um, patients? Like, how is it? How, what could be improved within the within the system? I think um, within the system transitions. I touched earlier on the fact that um, you know this is uh, so. Oftentimes, you know. Um, you know, patients who uh, with PTSD, um, you know, will will end up, you know, uh, transitioning out of the military. That can happen, right? Right. And and we have, in theory, right? We have all of these great resources, you know, um, for people to access through Veterans Affairs, right? And um, through we have people who are set and they do a great job. They do, but it's just it is a logistically it is logistically challenging to transition somebody out of one healthcare system into another and ensure, you know, uh, a continuity of care and, and b you know, there's just different healthcare systems operate differently with different resources and in different ways, right? And so um, sometimes, unfortunately, there are gaps that happen, right? And um, so I think, you know, perhaps a more cohesive transition um, strategy, although they do it, they're doing a good job. They're doing, I'm not saying there's, you know, anybody's doing a terrible job or anything, but just it is an, it is an area where I think um, patients could benefit from continued, uh, continued work, yeah. Well, do you have any idea how that improvement could be made? I mean, are we throwing more money at it, um, tr- yeah, trying to specifically you know, train psychologists? Yeah, I think, or? I, think, I, think um, I think you touched on something earlier, which is, um, you know, community. So you look at um, you look at the Canadian Armed Forces, and it's kind of a uh, dysphoric community of people who've, um, you know, bounced around. If somebody who does 25 years in the military and multiple deployments is going to, is going to be um, most likely have lived in multiple different places all over the country. Right. 
And so they come to find that sense of community um, within the military itself, right? Uh, and then when they leave the military, they might go back to where they came from or a city somewhere else and they, um, in the province and they kind of lose touch with that and, they, and, they're, and they're maybe dropping into or you know, retiring or, or, or joining a place where they haven't spent the bulk of time investing in those uh, social connections, right, and, uh, and building up that network of uh, people who, who are there to, to, to support them. So, um, you know, I think uh, maybe at a grassroots level having, you know, those kinds of connection points for, for people, you know, who, um, who they can kind of, uh, you know, reconnect with, uh, with people who have a shared similar experience. Well, that's you a, might think of, yeah. That's a good point, actually. And maybe it, it could be done during a, you know, before your out clearance briefings, you know, years before before most people retire, is the importance of maintaining those 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 connections you make in the military. Because once well, you, you know, historically, Steve, like that was the function of places like the Legion, right? You know, right. Um, and, and times are changing, and it's you know, it's, it's not really uh, societally. It's not we don't longer go to a go to a pub and, you know, and drink every evening to connect with people. We don't need to do that, but, but finding a healthy way, right. To, to connect even on a social level, just with, with people. Yeah. Where we end up, we would have a shared uh, similar experience. I well, think it would definitely be useful. A, a lot of guys I spoke to, that's the, the, that was their saving grace, so to speak, was reconnecting with, uh, you know, old military buddies or, you know, guys they were on teams with and, uh, that sort of helped them through the darkest hours. And, uh, you're right. In in my case, when I went out the the front gate, I hadn't really maintained a lot of outside the military um, social connections, and a lot of times, once you leave the military, once you've gone out those front gates, um, that family is is no longer there. Except uh, your real family is if if you haven't alienated them through uh, you know PTSD uh, issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but keep keeping those bonds of some sort. Uh, are definitely important, I would think. Yeah, I would agree. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say to a guy who's uh, dealing with PTSD at the moment and they're considering suicide? If they were like actively considering suicide at present, you mean? Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, I think uh, I think the first thing is to try to understand uh, the motivation for that and characterize it. You know, um, you know, so understanding that. People who uh, it, it's actually uh, quite common to have the some suicidal ideation, right? But but kind of sussing that out and, and trying to figure out is this a, an active intent or is this you know more of a, you know life is so tough I wish I didn't exist kind right. of you know, suicidal ideation. But um, I think uh, obviously you know um, when you can try to understand the motivations for for why people are feeling what they're feeling, you know, what, a common theme you hear is people are just um, you know, they're just you know fed up with with the uh, with the severity of their symptoms that um, that kind of going on doesn't seem possible, you know, um, and so it's really important I think that um, you know for for people who find themselves in that situation that they um, that they reach out you know and, and talk to somebody and uh, let people know what's going on and and also. Um, for, for other people, right, you know, in community with with others to, to be on the lookout for that and, and be receptive to that and know that um, you don't turn, uh, mental health doesn't turn on a dime. It's a very, it's a, it's a very complicated uh, 
um, process of recovery, right? That involves, um, you know, the biopsychosocial model of, of uh, you know, uh, community connections, like we talked about, relationships, uh, medications, right? Therapy, you know, uh, takes a lot of energy and effort to to recover from from that. And so I think, uh, you know, uh, have the patience to know that just because uh, it's a dark day today, um, and it might be dark tomorrow, but there is hope if that, you know, doing those kinds of things can can turn things around, you know? So the main message I get out of that is there is hope. There is hope, yeah. I mean, and and uh, but to also have patience, right, with with uh, with yourself, right, to say, yeah, like uh, realistic expectations of like what what recovery from PTSD looks like. You know, um, it's not going to be a thirty day turnaround. It's not going to be something that you uh, can fix on a dime. It's going to be, you know, uh, active, lots of energy investment in all the different treatment modalities that we've kind of touched on and, uh, and the expectation over time that, that this things can turn around, but it, it's, uh, you know, it's uh, longer than expected usually. I, I'm not, I mean, that's a good, uh, good bunch of points you bring up there, but I'm not sure if a guy go actively um, think of, of suicide, if he's going to, you know, if you say to him, things are going to get better. I mean, there is hope. Um, I'm not necessarily sure that sink that that sinks in when they're at that uh, they're at that state. Well, you're in that state. I mean, you're not you're not you're not forward thinking and future thinking, right? You're you're stuck in the moment of darkness, right? So so you're living moment by moment, you know. Um, but yeah, a person's got to have. Um, so what you're trying to do is encourage somebody to be you know, get out of their moment and, and be forward thinking. So um, find a reason that uh, and everybody's got to have some reason that they, you know, that they still enjoy or something that they can look forward to reasons that they uh, in their, in their acute moment uh, can find hope, you know, but, but also you want to transition them out of that place of uh, focusing on the here and now to also, you know, kind of look, look towards the future as well. Right. So before the abyss starts staring back to take some action kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Meet them where they're at in that moment, but also, you know, you want people to, because when you find hope in the future, right. And that's when you're, um, that's when you get out of that, that, that dark place in the moment, you know. All right. What about, uh, what, what can family and friends do for guys that are suffering through, uh, PTSD? Um, uh, you know, I think, um, I think have an understanding, um, of it, you know, so, so knowledge is, uh, will help, will help uh, people to, uh, you know, see the signs and symptoms and understand them. Right. Um, so if somebody, uh, has an outburst of reactivity, it's not this, uh, confusing, you know, what the heck's going on or blaming or why don't you just stop that? You know, you can, you can, I think, you know, then interpret people's actions through that, that lens of uh, information. So that's important. I think, um, second thing is just to, um, you know, literally ask people, like, how can I best support you, right? Um, give them opportunities to tell them, you know, um, you know, come in, uh, help me out or give me some space or, you know what I mean? Um, people are, um, and be open to what, whatever they, whatever they bring up and say, yeah, here's how, here's how you can help me. So I think just uh, be informed about the condition, be aware of, um, you know, how your loved one might uh, be behaving within the context of those symptoms uh, and then be around, you know, like say, how can I help uh, multiple touch points? Um, And that's probably the best thing you can do. So don't, don't push, but keep the lines of communication open, letting them know, like invite them to a family function or, or whatever saying, you know, this is here, it's going on. You're more than welcome. If you, uh, if you want to come, we'd be happy to have you kind of thing. Exactly. Don't assume that you, you know, how to, how they, but how they best want you to 
interact with them, ask them, you know, invite them out, uh, engage, right, uh, on their terms uh, and in ways that, that mean something to them. Well, I think that pretty much uh, sums up that point nicely. What what final words would you have uh, considering uh, PTSD in the, the military? Well, I'd say, uh, I'd say look at, um, you know, uh, you know, we, I think, I think um, military members are, uh, are regarded uh, highly by um, you know society at large, and uh, you know every Remembrance Day we um, you know we take time to kind of remember you know the, the sacrifices that uh, that um, that people make, right? But I think it's easy then you know after Remembrance Day has come and gone to just kind of plow on with life and, and often take those kinds of things for granted. But, but I think for some people they've uh, they've really given up a lot, right? Um, in, uh, in in their uh, in their profession and you know in the service of uh, um, you know, of others. And, uh, so they don't, they don't often, um, sometimes, um, because, because of the manifestations of PTSD, you might not, you might see them out and about in the different capacity. You might encounter, you know, uh, somebody with PTSD and, and you might not see them with that same, um, the same, you know, idealistic uh, notion that you would maybe on Remembrance Day. And I think it's about connecting those things to say, yes, we have this idealized idea of what it means to, you know, serve your country and then uh, and whatnot. But sometimes we fail to, I think, connect and say, what's the cost of that, you know? And um, and I think when you make that connection, it just it builds a little bit of, uh, of empathy, I think. And then you can, um, I think you just are more aware, again, than we talked about just being aware of, of uh, you know, people in your community who, uh, who might be in those circumstances with PTSD. Yeah. One of the, the British actually just put out a, a video I saw just this morning. Uh, one of their generals speaking about his own uh, struggles through um, um, mental injury and, and uh, PTSD in particular. And uh, it was, it was well done and it wasn't in a preachy authoritative way. It was just a, you know, like a guy on one-on-one kind of thing um, mm-hmm. speaking from the heart. And uh, I think I think the Canadian military could take a lesson from the, from the Brits on and on that, because Veterans Affairs has a commercial out about uh, uh, if you need help to reach out kind of thing, but uh, I I see a, a small improvement in in you know bringing these things out into the light of day, but uh, mm-hmm. st- still I think uh, you know suicide in particular. Yeah. Um, as as uh, as much as it hits the vets, and I don't know how many vets we've lost now, um, not necessarily due to PTSD, but certainly uh, due to depression caused from whatever whatever means. Mm-hmm. I think I think we need to do a better job of uh, getting that bull by the horns. And uh, yeah, I, I couldn't. I agree with you there for sure, Stephen. I think you touched on one one important thing too, which is that. Um, you know, uh, it's, it is important for people who've been through that experience as part of their own recovery, actually, to give something back, right? I mean, there's there's something about um, having uh, gone through something like that, and then you and then you look back and you can extend a helping hand to somebody else who's who's also going through what you've been through. You know, you you um, you know, in some ways, it's like consolidating your recovery, right? Um, to be able to to then become the help that somebody else needs because you you know you know exactly where they've been, so. Yeah, and I mean, one of the reasons, I don't have PTSD myself, and I'm not really sure how I got onto this uh, onto mm-hmm. this subject. Somebody obviously sent in a story kind of thing and uh, mm-hmm. got it running. But uh, it it is definitely important to, if, if um, someone is suicidal, to uh, address it directly. Don't beat around the bush. You know, don't say, do you plan on hurting yourself? You know, ask, are you planning on killing yourself? Hurting yourself kind of gives a... 
a little a little escape route, if you will. Um, but I, I think it needs to be addressed bluntly, and uh, more money needs to be put into the prevention of it. It's in my humble opinion. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think uh, you know things like your podcast are helping to uh, bring attention to the issue. So, yeah, well, that's okay. Okay, yeah. so the absolute last word goes to you here before I uh, sign off. What yeah. do you got to say, Doc? Well, I just, uh, yeah, I want to thank you again for the opportunity to chat about this. And uh, I know you're, if anybody in your fan base ever wants to uh, talk to more about it, they're uh, welcome to, you know, engage with you and ask you some questions. I'm happy to answer anything. And uh, if you find yourself in a place, some of the listeners that find themselves in a place, uh, just reach out and, um, you know, that there are people out there who understand and want to support you where you're at. All right. Thanks a lot for your service there, Doc. And uh, you're uh, hopefully you... uh stick around pet for a while longer. <laughs> I, I stuck around my entire career. So oh, okay. yeah, it's a rare, rare thing. Six deployments and uh, never left that while except for training. <laughs> wow. wow. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. All right, it doc. Is. Thanks a All lot. Right, thanks, um, thanks a lot to those listening to rock is Bacchus. Thanks mom. Hopefully you figured out how to get it back into the clouds and can listen to this pod. You don't know this, Doc, but my mother is technologically challenged and she still hasn't <laughs> heard this quad. <laughs> she hasn't found the cloud yet, eh? No, no, she hasn't found the right cloud. All right. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Doc. All right. Thanks again to uh, Dr. McLaughlin uh, for his input. And thanks a lot to you uh, folks for listening. If you do want to contact uh, the doctor or anybody else on, the, uh, on, on this uh, show, you can contact me directly at Steve C. Copang. That's Sierra, Tango, Ector, Echo, Victor, Echo, Charlie, Kilo, Oscar, Papa, Papa, Alpha, November, Golf at gmail.com. And uh, I'll, I'll uh, pass on your information to who you want to speak to and uh, we'll work it out. Thanks again, guys. <laughs>